Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to the second message in this series on the mind of Christ, the world through the eyes of God. I love this topic. I'm telling you, when we begin to see the world through God's eyes, everything gets easy. When we begin to see ourselves through God's eyes, it's amazing uh, how much at peace we're going to be, how we're going to free ourselves from guilt and condemnation and all that kind of stuff. This series just has so much potential to help us in so many incredible ways. Now, today I'm talking about too good to be true. You know, back years ago, uh, before I discovered that the correct uh, name for the, go- for the gospel was the gospel of peace, and that was also before I learned that the correct name for the new covenant was actually the covenant of peace. And so prior to discovering that, and I was introduced to those terminologies by by a friend that I ministered with several years ago that was a real blessing and a help to me at the time. And uh, but before that, I always called it the good news gospel. I had not I had not taken this thought and developed it theologically as much as as much as I did over the years. But uh, I can remember very early on in my life, in the ministry, my life as a believer, you know, I won people to Jesus. I was always winning people to Jesus. And um, you know, I'm not saying that I was proud or egotistical about it, but you know. Uh, when you're pretty effective at doing something, and when people, particularly when people are kind of uh, patting you on the back a lot, and you know, I did in Christian circles, I got a lot of acknowledgement that honestly, I, uh, they really should not have been giving to me. I won't go into all the details on on that, but uh, but you know, you feel pretty good about it when you're winning people to Jesus, you're helping people's lives. It's not a, it's not an ego thing, but you're just you're just grateful that you're getting to do this. And so one night I, I decided to, well, I didn't really decide. I just ended up passing the night in prayer. And I would do, would do that from time to time, just start praying and just, you know, couldn't stop, if you will, and couldn't just, just couldn't stop communing with God. And so uh, late in the night as I was worshiping and praying, the Lord spoke to me and he said, you know, if, uh, if you, uh, if you uh, start preaching uh, the true gospel, uh, you really will be effective at winning the loss. I thought I win more people one on one than anybody I know, and I kind of yeah. At first, I was kind of kind of insulted, and I was like, well, "Well, what do you mean? Start preaching the real gospel?" I, I I thought I was preaching the real gospel, and the Lord spoke to me and said, "If it's not good news, it's not gospel." Well, you know, I should have known that because the word gospel itself means good news, but but I tell you that that brought about one of those major turning of events in my life, I realized that if I was going to be preaching the gospel, I always had to find the good news. And, you know, Jesus is the good news, but not just the fact that Jesus is the good news, but Jesus himself was the perfect representation of God. And everything that he represented about God was good and only good. 
And so, you know, we'll be getting into some of that in this series, but I'm telling you what, it is, it is such an incredible thing to realize how good God really is. Now, it's amazing how much we have been programmed to be pessimistic. Now, what's interesting about that is sometimes the most, some of the most positive people that you will ever meet, uh, they're positive about the economy, they're positive about their future, they're positive about all these different aspects of their life, but it's amazing when you start talking about to them about who God is and, and how to know the difference between what occurs in our lives that is of God and what occurs in our life that isn't of God, it is amazing how pessimistic people become. You know, I did a, I did a, a, a broadcast today, an interview today, and uh, uh, it'll be showing up uh on one of my, uh, probably on my uh, Dr. Jim Richards' Facebook page, it'll be showing up in various places. But, uh, but you know, you know, we were just one of the things that we were just talking about was the incredibly difficult time people have believing how good God is, because religion has, for so many centuries, uh, brainwashed us into having a negative view of. God. Now, the thing we're going to be talking about today, which is so important in relationship to the mind of Christ, is if I've got the mind of Christ. Now, remember, uh, this is not talking about something that happens through spiritual osmosis. In other words, just because I am born again does not mean I, bam, I've automatically got the mind of Christ. Think like Jesus. And uh, you know, that's evident and the horrible decisions that we make so many times. And I'm not saying that to condemn us or put anybody down, but isn't it amazing how many times as believers we still make really bad decisions? Well, if I had the mind of Christ, uh, I wouldn't be making bad decisions. So this is not something that I can just go around claiming that I have. Uh, it's something much, much deeper than that. We talked about this by the, uh, in, in last week's message. And if you didn't listen to last week's message, you might actually want to go there and listen to that before you listen to this message so that you, you're tracking with me. So, you know, we, we came to realize that, that the mind of Christ is, is, not, is not just the fact that you somehow inherit his brain or his way of thinking. The mind of Christ represents the logic and the reasoning behind everything that Jesus did. He had a reason, and he had a logic. And the amazing thing is that contrary to religious belief and teaching, we can understand that logic. We can understand that reasoning so that we do, in fact, begin to think like he thinks. Now, I say this, I don't know how many times I'll say this throughout this entire series. You know, the Bible tells us to renew our mind. Any transformation that we're going to go through, in other words, any place where we are becoming more like Jesus, any place where we are uh, walking in righteousness more as a matter of the heart, not the matter of legalistic obedience, any, any of these powerful things that happen in our life, they all really began with the renewing of the mind. Now, when we think about renewing the mind, and I, could, I thought this way for years, it was more about what I thought about. And so as a, as a new believer, and I realized very quickly that I need to renew my mind, 
I started realizing I didn't need to be thinking these nasty, dirty thoughts that, that I had spent my entire life thinking. And, uh, but really that's just the tip of the iceberg. And that's really the most shallow part of it, if you will, because it's not renewing your mind is not just changing what you think, but renewing your mind is changing how you think. See, I want to think the thoughts of Jesus. I want to think about God the way Jesus thought about God. I want to think about life the way Jesus thought about life. I want to think about everything that that I encounter in this life in the way that Jesus would have thought about it. But besides that, I want to think about it uh, the way that he thought about it. You see, Jesus brought to us a perspective of God that no human being had ever had prior to that. You say, well, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't a human being. Oh, yes, he was. He was the son of God, but somehow he emptied himself of all of his godly attributes and became a man in all ways like we are, tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. And so so he he was the portrayal of a human being being able to see God as he was, being able to think about God as God really is, and and minister to people and teach people and treat people the way God himself would treat people if he was here. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. What I am teaching you about the mind of Christ, it is not that hard. Uh, you know, you know, one of my favorite logical concepts of how Jesus would have thought uh, is, is in the book of Romans, as well as back in the book of Isaiah. You know, in, in the book of Romans, it says, don't ask who is going to uh, go and get this for us and bring it back to us. This is not a hard thing. The Apostle Paul, and all the way back to Moses, whom Paul is, is, is quoting, present how easy this is. We think, well, wait a minute, how, what do you mean how easy this is? This is challenging to live this life. No, it's not. What's challenging is to give up the way we think about life, the way we think about God, the way we think about the world, the way we think about success, the way we think about marriage, the way we think about raising kids, the way we define love. Uh, this is what makes it hard. Our ego does not want to give up our personal opinions, and we will cling to our personal opinions even when they are destroying us because it's more painful to give up our opinion than it is to give up the pain that those opinions are bringing into our lives. And 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, it says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, man. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've always had a pretty incredible imagination. Now, when I was young, I was a pessimist. I grew up in a very a violent, uh, dysfunctional family. I was born with a congenital kidney disease, so I, I always uh, was having to deal with, with sickness because of compromised immune function and, you know, all these sorts of things. And so, you know, I was, I was one of these kids that I grew up, and, I, and every, it seemed like every day I was having to face some incredible challenge that made me have this encounter with how difficult life was. 
So I was not naturally optimistic by the time I gave my life to the Lord. I was, in fact, fairly pessimistic. But as a believer, I became incredibly optimistic. As an optimistic person, man, I, I had an imagination. I could, I could easily imagine a phenomenal miracle working God. I mean, when I came to Jesus, honestly, when I came to Jesus, I had no interest in coming to get religion. I had no interest in coming to play church. I, I, I expected to come into something that was going to be just like what Jesus experienced in his life and his ministry, just like what uh, all the, 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 the people of faith throughout the Bible experienced. Now, that was my expectation. And then I read a scripture like this and say, wait a minute, no matter what you've seen, and no matter how good it was, no matter how wonderful it was, you really haven't seen anything at all that reflects how good God is. And then it takes the next steps out. And also, no matter what you've heard, you know, I man, I've heard testimonies from all over the world. I've I have seen with my own eyes uh pretty much every miracle in the New Testament, and many of them duplicated dozens and dozens of times over. Uh, but you know what? I still haven't seen anything that adequately expresses how good God is. I have heard of things that I have not seen from reliable sources that are so phenomenal. You just, it, it is just hard to imagine uh, uh, that, that these things happen. But, but the scripture goes on to say, really, you really haven't yet even heard anything that fully reflects how good God is. And then it goes to the third dimension of this. Neither has it entered into your heart. Uh, one translation says into your imagination. And I know imagination is not an accurate translation of heart, but, but it's, it's a good concept. In other words, as, as great and as big as your imagination might be. And again, man, I'm telling you, I came into this thing. When I read the New Testament as a new believer, you know, if I first would read the Gospels about Jesus working miracles, I would just, I would imagine myself in the crowd, uh, being right there when it was happening and, and hearing what people were saying and, and, and experiencing my own emotions about the miracles. And then eventually I thought, well, wait a minute, I, I read John 14, 12, where it says, you know, the things that he did, I can do also and greater than those things. So I'm like, okay, then. So I started every, everything that Jesus did in working miracles and healing the sick and casting out devils. I, I envisioned it being me there doing those things. I'm telling you, my imagination about how good God was just expanded and expanded and expanded. But even as incredible as that was, it's never yet entered into my heart fully how incredible God is, and neither have I ever seen, never heard, never imagined, or never yet entered into my heart these things which God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, man, you know what? I don't know about you. Man, that makes me want to get up in the morning. That makes me want to face every situation, always expecting a good outcome, no matter how bad it is right now, I'm expecting it to get better. I'm expecting, I'm expecting for the promises of God to prevail in my life. I'm expecting to see a supernatural outcome or an outcome that's based on the wisdom of God or something. But, you know, I just don't ever expect it to go bad. So 
I can't pat myself on the back about it too much because God's always better. God's always bigger. And God has always prepared more for us than we, than we can even imagine. Now, the carnal mind, now word carnal just means natural. It doesn't mean dirty or nasty. It just means natural. The natural mind cannot grasp what God's prepared for us. Now, we can read it in the New Testament. We can interact with it in, you know, to some degree. We can get our mind around it. Sometimes, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I will, I will grasp something with my mind, if you will, and, and I can hold on to it for, for a few seconds or a few minutes, then bam, it's like it, it disappears. And, and it's like it's just too big and too wonderful for me to actually be able to hold on in my mind. But there is a way that we actually can grasp uh, what the wisest men in the world don't know. And that is by having the mind of Christ. Because Jesus had the mind of God. And because he had the mind of God, then in him, we can have the mind of Christ. But how does, how does that happen? How does it turn? If I don't just get this automatically, it's not a gift. I mean, it, well, it's a gift in the sense that, that God has given. And you know, we talked about this in last week's message. There are many, many words in the Greek and the Hebrew language that actually uh, imply that there are things that God has legally given us that, in fact, we have not yet experienced because we haven't believed them and we haven't received them. Now, remember, the word receive in the Greek New Testament is not a passive word. It's not like, okay, I'm going to lay back and let God throw this at me and hope he hits me with this, with, with this supernatural thing that he's throwing at me. No. Receiving is something that we do where we, by faith, and faith, faith is just simply this. Faith is, I believe this is true, and I believe it's true for me, and I believe it's true for me because of the finished work of Jesus. And by doing that, I can take hold of it, and I can bring it into my own heart. And so, so the mind of Christ is one of those things that has been legally given, but there's a process of faith whereby we actually receive it, we actually take hold of it, we actually begin to experience. And in reality, in our lives, the mind of Christ is a work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to jump into that. Listen, let me mention something really quick. One of the things that I do with all of my free video series, man, I'll tell you, you know, people always ask me, Jim, how in the world do you ever financially make it? You have more free material on your website than anybody I've ever seen. And we do. We have a couple of thousand free videos about almost every topic that you can imagine. And here's the real truth. People appreciate so much what we do that people make contributions and, uh, you know, we don't have to beg for money all the time. And, you know, we don't have to make all these special offers and we don't have to lie about God, how much God's going to bless you for giving to our ministry. You know, we don't have to do any of that because people appreciate what we do. But one of the things that we always do with all of these free video series is I make an audio series that goes with it. And that audio series, like with this particular series, there will be something like uh, uh, six hours of teaching. 
And, and we will go into much more application and much more of the practical side of things that we really, number one, just don't have time to go into in these videos. And the honest truth is not everybody's interested in that, but people who are really seeking to develop their life as a disciple love these audio series. And two things that happen when you purchase one of these audio series and you can get it on a download, bam, tonight you can be, you can be scooting ahead in this stuff and uh, uh, going through the audio and the video at the same time. And so the first thing that happens is, number one, you invest in yourself. And that, that is your responsibility. If you choose to be a disciple, it is your responsibility to invest in yourself. But number two, besides investing in your own life and your own heart, number two, financially, the money that you spend when you purchase any of these audio series or any of the, anything on our website, all of this money goes into helping us take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are raising up 1 billion disciples around the world. And you can go to my website, drjimrichards.com, impactministers.com, and you can find out all about that. Just, just go to the homepage and then go to the, uh, go to the world changer section and you can find out all about that. All right. Now listen, the great teacher, or that's how I refer to him, the great teacher, is the Holy Spirit. Now, in John 14, 26, Jesus said this. He said, and he's, he's teaching, he's getting ready to leave. And I find this to be so significant. He is getting ready to leave. And, you know, when, I, when Brenda and I used to leave, our children, you know, were young and we were going to be gone for, for a little while. Usually the most important things that we had to remind them of were going to be the last things that we said. And so as Jesus is preparing to leave, as he's getting down to what we know as the last few chapters of the Gospels, uh, which so many of these chapters at the end of the Gospels, like in the book of John, for example, they are uh, uh, five, six chapters are just about the very last few days of his life. But in these last few days, man, he brought forth the most important things that he wanted to make sure that the disciples knew. He wanted the disciples to make sure, and he repeated it over and over and over again, that, that he was leaving, and it was to their benefit that he was leaving, because if he left, the Father could pour out the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit could not come uh, in the way that we know him and abide in the hearts of all of us and become our helper and our teacher if Jesus didn't leave. Now, when Jesus was here, you had to be there. You had to hear him with your own ears, and then you had to be able to retain in your memory the things that he said to you, because hearing him speak was no different than hearing anybody speak. You had to pay attention. You had to listen. You had to hear it. And then, then usually you, you had to go to him and say, what, what does that even mean anyhow? Well, the Holy Spirit is referred to, John 14, 26, as the helper. Now, the helper and the Greek is the word paraclete, and the paraclete is someone that is called alongside to help. And so the Holy Spirit is not the doer of the word. The Holy Spirit is the helper of those who desire to do the word. And so the Holy Spirit, and we choose to put the word into practice, the Holy Spirit helps us. He empowers us. He works in our heart. But also the Holy Spirit is the teacher. He is the one that brings to us an understanding 
very specifically of what the word means to us and how we need to apply it into our life. So in John 14, 26, he says, the helper or the paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. That's very important. Uh, he's coming in the name of Jesus. He is not representing any aspect of God that is different than what Jesus represented. And, uh, you know, people who feel like that they get these revelations that are contrary to Jesus' life and teaching and ministry, they're being deceived. They are absolutely not getting that from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes in the name of Jesus. Jesus himself came in the name of the Father. So you've got the Father, you've got the Son, you've got the Holy Spirit, and then you've got the believers, all of us being one together. So he says this, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit is the one that, that as we remember what the wonderful things that Jesus did, uh, we're going to come to understand them. We're going to be able to perceive them in ways that are just what some people might call supernatural. Now, you go back to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, it says, and so, so it's talking about how that uh, you know, that I hadn't seen or hadn't heard and hadn't even entered into your heart, the things that God has prepared for us. Now, that's key. He has already prepared. He's not going to prepare these things. We don't have to talk him into doing these things. He's already done this through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But, okay, if, if you haven't seen it, hadn't heard it, you, can't, you haven't even had it in your heart, how does that help you? Here it is. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Because the Spirit searches all things, yes, all the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. But now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who, who is from God, that we might know the things that He that have been freely given to us by God. Woo! Man, do, do you get that? You see it. I'm the only one that really knows what's going on inside me. Nobody out here knows. Nobody. They might think they know. They don't know. I know. My spirit knows. Likewise, no man can in his own capability know the mind of God. But the spirit of God knows the mind of God. And so the way we experience the mind of Christ is by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When we receive him, when we take hold of him, when we rely on him to be our teacher, we stop relying on our intellect. We start relying on the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, we start getting this explosive revelation of how good God really is because we finally start seeing God in the context of Jesus, of his life, of his ministry. You know, I'm just down to about a minute and 20 seconds here. So let me say this real quick. A lot of people say, well, how, how do I let the Holy Spirit teach me? One of the most powerful ways for the Holy Spirit to teach you is what I call meditative Bible reading. You know, meditation is something the Bible tells you to do. Religion tells you not to do it. The Bible says it will transform you. Religion says it'll mess you up. The Bible says it is, it is, a, it is a powerful way to experience God. Religion says it'll get you deceived. Biblical meditation is not, you know, all the weird stuff that you've heard you know, from everywhere else. Medi all meditation is, is where you ponder and you think on and you imagine something until you experience it in that very moment as if it is real. Now, you can do that with wicked things. You can do that with godly things. But the Bible very specifically tells us to meditate 
probably hundreds of times. Usually the word meditate wasn't how it was translated. So anyhow, as we read the Bible, one of the most powerful things we do, take your time. Always, always read the Bible with your heart open to God. Teach me this. Teach me. But not teach me in the sense of just always get my theology right. Always, you know, but teach me what this would look like if I was putting it into practice in my life. And the Holy Spirit will lead you and he will empower you to be able to live like Jesus lived. Listen, share this with a friend and be sure and be with me next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.